kids behind the bus time. From the NHRL studios in Norwalk, Connecticut, this is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind the bots. I'm Chris. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kyle. And today on the podcast, our interview with Will Bales, captain of Hypershock. We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player FM, and Podbean. You can follow us at Facebook, at Behind the Bots, and tell a friend. We really appreciate your support. Time for this week's Combat Robotics News. I have one news item for you today. First up, catch live combat events this weekend in Texas, Toronto, Australia, and the UK. In the UK, Extreme Robots Live is back in action this Saturday and Sunday, and we'll be fighting heavyweights just outside of London in Brentwood. In Australia, the Death World team... Uh, Death Row team member Julie Pitts is holding the delightfully named Beetle Bloodbath in Blackstone, Queensland. Ooh. In Toronto, Cemetery Wind Builder Tyler Beetle and Red Devil Builder Ravi Babulal uh, will be fighting Antweights, Beetleweights, 30 pounders, and 150 pound sumo bots at Anime North 2023. In Texas, Robotica 2.0 will be fighting Fairyweights, Antweights, Lego Combat Bots. Beetleweights, 50-pound hockey robots, and at Comic Palooza in Houston. And that's it for this week's news. Um, all right, let's look back at episode 19 of BattleBots, which aired this past Thursday. We saw eight incredible fights in the round of 16, where we bid an early farewell to Black Dragon, Lockjaw, Malice, Monsoon, Whiplash, Mad Catter, Hypershock, and perhaps most shocking of all, Endgame. Eight bots remain alive in the championship and will crown season seven winner of the giant nut this week. Will it be Minotaur, Riptide, Witch Doctor, Hydra, Huge, Sawblaze, Copperhead, or Ribot? Your thoughts on episode 19? It's a pretty explosive episode. Um, you know, some of the uh some of the bigger names went out. Um, you know, uh being on on team Copperhead, you know, I, I we had just known the uh, the results of that Endgame match, but uh, man, that thing um, uh, it it took a lot of hits and it lost a lot of a lot of uh, its 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 forks, its its key components, and it just kept going and going and going. That was uh, that was pretty wild to actually see play out because we hadn't seen it play out. We'd only heard about what happened. Um, uh, explosive uh, match between Hypershock and Riptide. Hypershock maybe kind of setting the bar, uh, so to speak, <laughs> for how high a bot can uh, can actually go vertically, come down, and still uh, be somewhat operational. Um, you know, uh, fierce matches with with Black Dragon and, and Lockjaw. It was a it was a really great episode. Hey good on those ribot boys for like pulling it out man they really dominated in that match with black dragon that was like excellent driving just really well done all the way around won that match very handily yeah they're really getting the wind in their sails at just the right time um it's kind of like you know maybe you are a baseball team and you've been middling all season but then in september you go on like a 20 game win streak (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just completely yeah. you know dominate in the standings and then you finish first <laughs> um and it's kind of yeah. like you know the feeling i'm getting from them right now like they they have the wind in their sails a bit 
I got to say, some of these bots, I mean, looking at their performance in this episode, it's hard not to think about them winning the giant nut. Witch Doctor just absolutely shredding Lockjaw was just so impressive. It was a 45-second match um, before the KO. Like, that was absolutely dominant driving. That weapon is hitting hard. They're easily a contender for the giant nut this time around. Uh, surprisingly, though, the the number one seed, they had a tough grow to their win with uh, when they fought against Bunny. That was a really back and forth match there for a while. Yeah, Malice really gave them a run for their money. Um, that bot just kept going, even if the weapon wasn't. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, at the end of that match, like, you know, Daniel kind of looked almost as if he didn't know what hit him you know he was still in that day still like one with the robot but i think he was maybe a little bit more nervous about the outcome than he was probably uh, anticipating going into that match that it would be yeah and yeah the first um i don't know what what was it 20 or 30 seconds of the match like i was like this could go this is gonna go either way this yeah. this very well could go to malice and then daniel does like that one move to basically re-gyro himself reorient himself back to um uh being upright and it was like not just a reset of the bot it was a reset of daniel <laughs> and like from that point on you know he uh, i think he 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 got his solid footing back and you know was just really able to kind of bring it back to malice uh and you know that's uh that kind of just shows the um the uh the, the, you know the the ferocity that he generally brings and minotaur only wins when they're driving 100% aggro and that was the that was the moment where it kind of flipped back in in his direction yeah. from being a defensive match to a, an offensive match i think it's interesting how many rematches we're just kind of getting in this tournament now as we move through um you know, the Sawblaze versus Monsoon. Sawblaze has really figured out how to handle these giant vertical weapons over the past two years since they last fought Monsoon. Um, you know, that's the thing about Jameson Go, right? He he loses once and then he adapts and he does a very, very good job adapting. That was just a dominant performance, right? Sawblaze was another one where it's like you saw that win and you're like, okay, that's obviously who's going to win the giant nut, right? You saw Witch Doctors win, you're like, well, that's obviously who's going to win the giant nut um hydra was another one like that was crazy good that performance riptide of course scary they're the they're they're quickly turning into the uh the the um big russian bad guy villain from the 80s movie in this whole thing um it's crazy i like the those these bots are all looking so terrifying i have no idea what's going to happen in this next round I feel like almost this year Saw Blaze is getting slept on because there are, I don't know, maybe some like bigger uh, attention grabbing bots mm. <laughs> that are taking up a lot of the air this season. Um, but and, and I think also because Saw Blaze is always so consistent, it's yeah. always performing so well that there's... Um, you just expect know. them to be where they're at right now. There's no surprise there. There's no, there's nothing exactly. crazy about it. Yeah, exactly. Like it's doing what Sawblaze is designed to do. Uh, and it's just another day, but like, <laughs> I, I think, um, you know, it just, the bot is looking so good. Um, he's had now Jameson and, and the whole team have had years to kind of work through some of these, um, 
you know, not, not flaw, but like weak points in the robot. And mm-hmm. now like, you know, they are able to improve and overcome those weak points every single time and to making like a robot that now is, is prime and like optimal. <laughs> it is no longer suboptimal. It is fully optimized. And, um, because Jameson's so steady and, and, you know, that's what you come to expect. It's maybe not a surprise, but like, we shouldn't sleep on it. It's it's looking so good this season. Yeah. Now, a bot that has looked absolutely unbeatable, straight up world beater all year, um, has been huge. And we saw some cracks in that armor in this match against Mad Catter. Calvin did a phenomenal job um, against an opponent that it's his bot is not designed to really drive well against. Um, but they both lost their weapons. I mean, that was a really tough match. It ended up becoming a driving control match, and Huge pulled it out by the points in the end. But this was not the dominant, scary Huge we've been seeing all season. Is that something that I think can give us concern going into the next round? Like, has has Jonathan and the gang peaked early? That's a good question. That is a good question, yeah. I, and perhaps a Mad Catter, um, a team that is not necessarily as well funded as many of the other teams. They're a college bot. Um, they reuse and rework and refurbish their parts, you know, season over season. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's like so much to be said for that and, and props to them for really giving, um, you know, huge who is, who at this season up to this point had been looking like it was in its prime, um, really giving it a run for its money. Yeah, huge. I, I still say they're scary going to the next round, but it was interesting to see kind of shades of old huge um, in that match with Calvin Eba. I mean, when you have a driver like Calvin Eba, it's going to be a struggle no matter what kind of bot you have, no matter how well you're performing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, this was a great episode. Like I heard, I saw many people online saying that this was their favorite episode of the season uh, thus far. And I think that there's a really good... Um, a really good case for that. Also, we got our very first ever actual roofing. Yeah. Um, that's Although crazy. I, they're saying that Hydra um, did maybe send death roll uh, like a little, a little grazing of the roof. And I don't know. I have not confirmed that, but uh, some people are claiming that that happened. Well, they grazed a light. That's been pretty well. Like, um, uh, I identified like they grazed the light. They actually got somebody up into the lighting grid, which is phenomenal for a flipper. Right. Uh, but this was, I mean, Ethan said it in the interview, like it was the two weapons spinning exactly the right way, just the right amount of engagement to get the biggest throw possible. Um, and those are two scary weapons to yeah. hit each other at that speed. So that was like, that was a, a crazy height that they got out of that. Um, and the fact that hypershock was just, still working after that yeah uh was absurd absolutely absurd um the interesting thing about that for me and I, this is the most recent episode that i just watched i kind of rewatched it yesterday or on sunday um 62 of builders picked hypershock do you think that was wishful thinking or <laughs> i do <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know if I was a captain, I would have voted with the 62% of captains. <laughs> um, even, you know, if I believe maybe it was more of an uphill battle for Hypershock than it would have been for Riptide. But um, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that um, 
it seems like BattleBots is just showing more of Ethan's personality now. Like they just bleeped out like three cuss words in this last episode. Like F the haters was one of the things he said. Um, whereas normally I felt like, you know, they, they kind of like edit around that stuff or cut that stuff out. But as the season's been going on, they're like, eh, leave it in, just bleep it out. It's fine. People can see it. Yeah. I think uh, the editors, they have a choice, right? They can choose to, uh, edit any person in one way or another. Um, but ultimately if you're providing the producers with that content, like, um, they might use it and they're using it. I, I don't think Ethan minds that like they're showing him as, um, you know, someone who is, uh, you know, uh, maybe a little combative and intense and yeah. excitable with his swear words, whatever. Cause I think you like, that's the energy he, um, chooses to bring and so when people are like, yeah. Oh, the producers are just making him look that way. It's like, I, I don't, I subscribe to that notion in other cases sometimes, but not necessarily in this one because uh, I think that is the energy uh, that he wishes to share with the world, which is his yep. own prerogative. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's it was a crazy episode. In the words of Kendall Roy, it was all bangers all the time, like yep. no no skips on on this one. Um, and uh, I just want, I just want to congratulate Copperhead on what was just a full dismissal. Crazy upset. <sighs> no, such no a good gray match. area with that one. <laughs> yeah, crazy upset. That was such a good match. Like, that was really, really good. Yeah, Luke really, like, I feel like had some of his best driving of the whole season in this match. He did not give endgame a moment um he did not back off you can't back off in this situation um and he just took off every single little fork of you know piano key he um was not afraid to go weapon to weapon and i think that that was maybe a lesson that we learned this season was like when we try to avoid going weapon to weapon you know maybe unpredictable things happen like with the ripperoni fight um, I would love to see what would happen in a rematch where we do go weapon to weapon with Ripperoni. Um, but yeah, I mean, and, and some of the photos that have been released by BattleBots, it's clear that we are continuing the strategy and going weapon to weapon against Riptide. Whether that will end in our favor or not, that remains to be seen. Um, but yeah, I think Copperhead's strength is in its ability to... Um, you know, take, take those punches and deliver, uh, you know, with that, with our weapon. Um, and I'm excited to see where, where we go from here. I love the meme that I saw on one of the groups that was, uh, like Riptide was, was portrayed as the, the Sith villain. And it was like, help us hypershock. You're our only hope. And then in the next panel, hypershock is totally wrecked. And then they're like, Help us, Copperhead. You're our only hope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know that we are favored in this match by uh, fans. <laughs> but there are some favors out there, and I, I appreciate their support. 
it's gonna be fun either way and yeah there was two good good two good um upsets this episode but i think the ribot upset is a little bit less surprising because we've been seeing their trend upward um you know copperhead beating endgame is like oh nobody in a million years would think that that's awesome that was like what an accomplishment what a cool uh what a cool fight you guys did a phenomenal job all right so now this past week we had 58 people send in their predictions and nobody managed to call all eight fights correctly however we did have nine people who managed to call seven out of eight fights correctly, which is pretty good. Uh, those people were Ben Moak, Brett Gordon, Craig Bowie, Dan Ironfoot Lake, James Williams, Kevin Bigiani, uh, Rob Turner, Ross Kearney, Ryan Thomas Shelton. Good job to all of them for guessing most of these fights correctly. I'm guessing they probably got slipped up on uh, Copperhead, if you had to ask me. The big upsets of the night were Endgame versus Copperhead and Black Dragon versus Robot. With most people thinking Endgame and Black Dragon would win, Kyle, as an FYI, I managed to call five out of eight fights correctly, similarly falling to the Endgame and Black Dragon traps. Sorry, I did not believe in my friends. This is what I get. Um, all right, so now we're going to get into this week's predictions. So who wants to, uh, who wants to see who thinks I won the giant nut? <laughs> so we have, first off, Minotaur versus Sawblaze, which is another rematch. It is a rematch. And this is exactly the kind of robot that uh, Jameson Go specializes in shredding. This sucks for Minotaur. Minotaur, like, really needs the giant nut. Uh, you know what I mean? These guys have been, like, favored to win this thing so many years. Uh, they work so hard. And then they get this matchup. And, oh, you know, it is the perfect scissors to their paper. It's not great. It's just not great for them. So this will have to go to Sawblaze. Yes, uh, it is a tough draw for them, uh, historically speaking, for sure. Um, all right, so that leaves us with Hydra versus Ribot. Frogs are going to fly, my friends. Frogs are going to fly. Uh, the ground game goes to Hydra. They're just so scary and dominant this year. I know Ribot is doing well, and it doesn't seem like a great idea to bet against them, but uh, I think Jake's going, going through Ribot pretty easily. All right, so then that would bring us to another rematch from just this season, Hydra versus Sawblaze. Will Sawblaze have had enough time to uh, you know, redesign themselves <laughs> to uh, overcome their weak points in their Hydra match from earlier this season. Yeah, that's a tough one, right? Like, can he do the adaptations within a single season? Ooh, that's tough. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and have to say that that would that would probably be a Hydra win. You know what I mean? Like, the ground game would go to them. It's literally microns that they're scraping the floor at that point. So, yeah. Well, I don't know. Jake likes to complain about the floor towards the end of the season not being level enough for him to do his ground game thing. No, no, I'm overthinking it. We're just going to go with Hydra. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Kyle predicts Hydra will take that side of the bracket. That leaves us with Riptide versus Copperhead, Kyle. Uh, yeah. Bet against your friends last week. Or are you going to do it again? That's a valid point, actually. You're right. I made a huge mis. This is a, a terrible idea, but I am going to go ahead and bet against Riptide. <laughs> <laughs> I peer pressured you into you it. You peer pressured me into it. I'm going to go with my friends. Copperhead's going to win, okay? And please, Riptide, don't wreck my friend's robot. 
Time will tell. Um, <laughs> time will tell. All right. So then we've got Witch Doctor versus Huge. Well, this has got to go huge. I, I want Witch Doctor to win so badly, but this is like the exact opposite kind of robot they want to phase. Um, the, huge was designed to break a Witch Doctor. That is like what it was made for. Exact design theory, right? Jonathan has to run nothing. He literally just goes out there with regular Huge and it's optimized to defeat Witch Doctor. So this is going huge, and I'm super pumped to say that. All right. Well, then I think in similar fashion, then it would. Uh, I am. I wonder how your logic applies then to a Copperhead versus Huge, which would come next. Yep. Same thing. I think that Copperhead would really struggle against the Huge. Uh, this would. This would have to. Their weapons too small, like too low to the ground. They're not going to get the engagement. That goes to Huge. Go, Jonathan and Huge. Just keep that weapon spinning, buddy. You'll be fine. <laughs> so then we would then have the rematch of all rematches yes. in the finals. Uh, the script writers, we couldn't do better than this. Absolutely. They are salivating at the thought of a Hydra versus Huge finals. What do you think happens in this scenario? Is uh, Jake going to run that uh, vert attachment that he That's keeps? what Jake says. He says if I ever have to fight huge, I run the Hydra or the uh, I run the, the big vert attachment. Like it's going to be phenomenal. If Hydra vert is, is what we would get for the final. <laughs> <laughs> so then would a flipper still have won BattleBots? I, yeah, I guess, right? And technically speaking, yes. Oh man, how funny would that be that a flipper finally wins BattleBots, but it's a flipper <laughs> with a <vertical> spinner <laughs> attachment. <laughs> Oh gosh. I'm predicting it. I'm gonna go ahead and say it. That's how it ends. It all ends with Jake Ewart and Vertical Hydro winning the giant nut. Kyle, you laugh. <laughs> Kyle, you laugh, but this could happen. This is a very likely scenario. <laughs> <laughs> And that makes me so happy that this is actually like, this is where we're at in our lives in 2023 that vertical Hydra could very well win the giant nut. <laughs> and then, so, all right, we got vertical Hydra. We've got huge who takes home the giant nut, who wins it all. Hydra. Hydra wins the giant nut. Wow. Oh, that would be so funny. I would love everything about that. Like, what are you going to do? With that tri-bar blade, right, that ridiculous weapon spinning vertically coming at Huge's body, there's you can't put enough UHMW on that thing to save it. It's not possible. Um, so, yeah, that would be hilarious, and I want to see it. All right, you heard it here, folks. Kyle has predicted Hydra to be the World Championship 7 uh, grand winner. Uh, if you think you're smarter than a Kyle please go to our Facebook page and send us your predictions later today. After the break, we'll return with our interview with Will Bales, Captain of Hypershock. This week on the podcast, we have a very special returning guest, Hypershock Captain Will Bales. The Neon Robot was back for its seventh season of BattleBots this year, being one of the only bots to compete in every season of the reboot. 
It faced an incredibly different match schedule, but looked as scary as ever, going 2-2 two and two against Claw Viper, Endgame, Whiplash, and Sawblaze, earning it an 18 seed. Sadly, we just uh, got to say goodbye to Hypershock in the fall of the round of the 16 to uh, Riptide, but not before taking a brief detour touch of the ceiling. The man, the myth, the legend, Will, is back to answer all of your questions about World Championship 7 and beyond. So welcome back to the show, Will. How's it going, Chris? Will, oh, I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. You're one of my favorite people to interview. Aw, you're just saying that. Do you say that to everybody? I, I'm legally and contractually obligated to say that to everyone, but this is one of the times that I really, really mean it. Aw, thanks. No, seriously. Like, uh, you know, you and, and, and your entire team have such a great uh, presence about you. Uh, just a fun clout that just, um, you know, every time it's, uh, whether it's a quick hit from the pits on the actual show, uh, whether it's, you know, content that you guys are kind of producing on the side or when you're here on the pod, it's really, it's always a blast. Well, thank you. We do it because it's fun. Uh, and so we want to keep it fun for ourselves and for everybody else watching. Well, we have a ton of fan questions from fans across our Discord, from Facebook, uh, from Instagram. And then, of course, we even have some questions from uh, some of your uh, fellow builders in BattleBots. So, yeah, we can uh, we'll, we'll get right into it. And, you know, here we are. We uh, we we are just kind of coming out of that round of 16 episode, which was explosive to say the least. And we have a bunch of uh, fan questions that kind of pertain to, uh, you know, Hypershock's last match. So if you don't mind, we'll go right in. Lay a mommy. All right, let's go. Ryder Liangle cuts right to the chase. I apologize in advance for my spicy question of the week, but uh, <laughs> oh, what was the drift early in the Riptide fight? I can understand a fear of going weapon to weapon, but it seemed like the alternative was far worse. Ah, well, you see, that is what we call in the business a mistake. <laughs> uh, un unfortunately, we I wish I knew. Uh, I wish I knew what I did uh, and why. Um, going into this fight, we were worried about going weapon to weapon, thought that probably wasn't going to be a, a fight we'd win. So we said, like everybody else, oh, we'll just go for the sides. <laughs> and uh, I think they said the same thing. Uh, and what happens is we, we both end up in the middle of the arena and we and start to do the maneuvering thing and I mess up. And that was kind of the ball game from there. Was it was it just a traction issue? Was it just an, like an overestimation? I, I think it was uh, a hope to stop just going straight at him and start turning around and doing the donuts and and give him the little whirly bird. But, uh, but he caught me dead in my tracks and stopped that from happening. Uh, so if I had stopped and started turning, you know, five, 10 feet earlier, then it would have been okay. But I, I think I waited too long to start that turn. Um, it's just, it's just what happens. I'll, I'll go off the questions here for a second. I know like a big part of Hypershock's repertoire is like this incredibly powerful drivetrain. And you, you guys have this ability to kind of, um, uh, quote unquote Tokyo drift around with uh, <laughs> uh, and and let me let me ask you this uh, throughout the season considering that the floor um, takes a lot of damage it gets a lot of scuffs it sees a lot of wear and tear uh, over uh, the course of many 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 fights does does the way that you have to approach driving change at all or like like, does your actual uh, traction change at all for for a bot like Hypershot throughout the season? 
Fortunately, it seems that our super, super soft tires um, aren't quite as prone to like losing grip in one corner. Like, uh, for example, Shatter uh, is very reliant on all four wheels touching at the same time. And because they're the Omni wheels, uh, mechanical wheels, if one's not touching, uh, things go haywire and they stop going in the direction they were. Um, because we just have normal wheels and because they're so soft, it doesn't matter if there's a quarter inch gap in the floor, we're, we're always touching. Um, the, the only thing that really catches us and gives us any grief is dust uh, and just you know small particulate debris on, on the floor because the tires are sticky enough to pick all that up and now we have you know hard dust coated <laughs> tires that don't grip quite as well. Um, but for the most part, uh, our, our grip and ability to drive is pretty constant throughout the tournament. Well, what kind of wheels do you use? We use uh, go-kart tires. They're the softest, stickiest, lightest weight go-kart tires we could find. Uh, they used to be a sponsor. Uh, it's uh, Vega uh, is the tire company. And it's the W6 model. It's the front wheel of a, like a super sticky go-kart rain tire. Works great. So it's is it meant it's meant for like outdoor applications or like an indoor go kart arena? It's it's yeah it's it's for an outdoor you know in the rain kind of racing. Um, normally they're air filled you know pneumatic tires, but we foam fill them uh, so that they don't go flat. And uh, we, we've been very happy with them, uh, certainly in terms of aesthetics, but also as a <laughs> a sacrificial keep away stick. Although uh, certain uh, fans probably have the strong opinion that we should protect them. Um, there's only so much weight we've got. You know, like for example, if you took rotator style wheel guards and put one on either either wheel, that's probably ten pounds per corner. And all of a sudden, you need to find forty pounds to to take out elsewhere. We just can't. So um, it, it's a necessary evil that we're frankly kind of happy with. Um, and it's just it, it's part of hypershock now. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of part of the bread and butter uh, with with hypershock and and a few other bots. It's like uh, why why dump the 40 pounds into defense when I can dump the 40 pounds into maneuverability and offense? Exactly. It makes for an exciting show. And and that's our goal. Our, our goal, first and foremost, from season one, was to get a toy. And finally, that we achieved that. Uh, that's That was the major win. Uh, and we we're all quite pleased with that. And, and after this season, especially looking at our losses uh, against Riptide and Endgame and, and Sawblaze, the, the obvious, you know, next step is we'll get rid of those big stupid tires and protect them and and uh, and have better side armor. But like I just said, it it's a compromise, um, and we can't have big, you know, protective uh, protected wheels. You can either have protected wheels or big wheels, um, especially if you have four of them. And going to anything else just doesn't feel like hypershock. So. One of the challenges ahead of us looking at, you know, season eight in the future is what do we do? What can we do to Hypershock that still maintains the essence of, of you know, vibrant, exciting, uh, in-your-face Hypershock, but doesn't just start to make it look more like Endgame? Yeah, I appreciate that dedication to the brand. <laughs> if we don't have dedication to the brand, what do we have? You sound like uh, some executive directors I've worked for in the past. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm going to move on to Cameron Hutton's question. Hey, Will, got one question about that hit. Did you take any chunks out of Riptide's weapon and vice versa? Yes and yes. 
um, there, there's a small chunk out of theirs, uh, and there's a small chunk out of ours. Um, I was overall very impressed of how well both held up. Um, you know, our weapon kept spinning, their weapon kept spinning. Um, their their egg beater is still in one piece. Our disc is still in one piece. Um, I, we were all kind of flabbergasted that, that everything survived. Well, that's a that's a perfect segue into our. Our next question from Pat Maloney, who was wondering, you know, Will, what is it like watching Hypershock hit the ceiling? I'm glad you asked, Pat. Um, it's it's odd. Uh, time slows down. And it's very strange. Uh, for, you know, when it happens, you have so much time to think because you're not busy driving. Um, and uh, we were kind of nervous that it would get stuck up there for a second. Uh, it hit the, the rafters with some velocity. So we definitely hit a, a light, broke a light, um, but it looked like for a second it would get stuck up there. And so the, the, <laughs> the Benny Hill music starts playing in your back, in the background of your head thinking, Oh man, what's it going to be like to watch the, the crew bots try to fish a 250 pound robot out of the ceiling. <laughs> I can picture Trey now coming in with his little crowbar and just trying to chuck like it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like a, like just a, just a man, uh, you know, trying to get a neighbor's frisbee down out of his pine tree. Yeah, until his oh, crowbar gets stuck in the tree. <laughs> oh yeah, of course. You know how that goes. We've all been there. If I had a nickel for every crowbar I've lost in a tree, it's it, so. This was like my first season. You know, going to BattleBots, being there, being cage side, and what's what's really crazy is I don't remember one second of one fight and it's funny because you you said that like time slows down which is true because it feels like when you're up there cage side it felt like a year but yeah then it happens so fast that like Mm -hmm. i realized oh i'm sitting there driving mini snake and i didn't watch the match because i'm just trying not to fall into the kill slots and yep and it's just like it's so like Actually, kind of just being there, like I, I'm sure, like just mouth agape as as Hypershock um, literally touches the ceiling. Had the ceiling not been there, you probably would have set the all time record for how far up you can launch a uh, a, a two hundred and fifty pound bot. It certainly feels that way. <laughs> when when it when it comes down, and you see Hypershock moving again. Like, what's that like? Uh, amazement. Uh relief uh fear that it's going to happen again (laughs) um that's the problem is they were spinning too um we were very happy that the wheels kept working and the weapon kept spinning uh and even after the the chains got all jammed up uh and we're stuck in the corner the fact that all the motors seemed to still be functioning and the weapon was still Mm -hmm. spinning uh we we were obviously you're bummed out that you're you didn't make it into the top eight and your toy is destroyed um but the fact that everything's gotten so robust and that we've been able to get to this point where um, we're getting clobbered so handily and still, you know, the, the guts are still working. Um, it, it's weird to say pr- uh, proud of the moment, but certainly pleased with the the progress we've made in terms of reliability. Now, I know that you mentioned that Hypershock's weapon was landing after or was working after the big landing, but um, Tristan Reyes wants to know, was Hypershock's weapon still working after the fight? Yeah, um, all of the guts still worked. None of the magic smoke got out, which is a miracle. Um, 
all the speed controllers worked. Uh, I think Kyle said in his um, uh, fight breakdown today that we lost one encoder connector. <laughs> but otherwise, everything else worked. So, um, yeah, the fact that the motors all worked, all you know, both uh, drive motors and both weapon motors, uh, and all the controllers still you know, are functional and could go into another robot was, was fantastic. All things considered. Would you, would you attribute some of that reliability to some upgrades that you had made for this season? And, and what were they? One of the, the, the biggest upgrade that we made this year was probably not changing all the electronics. Uh, anyone who's been following hypershock since season one will notice that it's been different every year. And this was the first time we changed that. Uh, it, it was the same. It was very much the same components from last year. We made some small tweaks to to some parts here or there. Um, the the invertibility horns, you know, the bunny ears, they stayed on much better this year, uh, based on some improvements we we made and uh, and some uh, shock mounts that we actually incorporated into those. So they survived the <laughs> the two story fall. Uh, so that was cool. Um, but mostly it, it was kind of refining and fine tuning and and just committing to a motor and motor controller setup which is the same for for the weapon and the drive uh that's just been working well for us and and the fact that we didn't change that and i didn't uh succumb to my hubris and think oh there's something better uh is is a a massive improvement for the season as as someone who who works in design, I I know every time you have a new release of something and you introduce ten new elements and five might not work right. Yep. When the next release comes along, there's five things that you have to fix before you introduce the next ten. Uh, but you know it always becomes ten, fifteen, twenty new things that you're introducing. So it's like you're constantly uh, trying to reprioritize what 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 are the old things that I need to fix with the new things I need to introduce? Right. And that's a, you know, that's, it's a more successful formula. Will is, is like, what, what minor tweaks can we make to make the, uh, you know, some, some of the hiccups and stuff that we've had in the past, um, uh, no longer a reality and just bring the, the best tuned bot that we can bring. Right. And, and that's what we focused on. And, and it, I think it paid off despite, you know, only getting to the top 16. It's the furthest we've gone, uh, since the original season one, I guess. Uh, it's basically the furthest we've ever been. Uh, we've had the toughest schedule that we've ever had. Uh, and f- more or less, this is the same robot that we've had all of season six, um, Golden Bolt, um, you know, Sin City Slugfest, Remars uh, number two, and season seven. And it's doing pretty good. So uh, yeah, there's, there's some big questions that we have about what to do next uh, and how to fix some of those glaring problems like the the stability when st- uh, when turning or how do you protect the wheels or do you protect the wheels? Um, we don't have the answers just yet, but we feel pretty confident that the core of the robot and the, the premise of the robot is close to as good as it can get. We definitely have some of those... Um... Uh, you know, kind of uh, future scoping questions coming up. Uh, and I have this last question here from Samuel Grashoff uh, from uh, pertaining to this last fight here. If you were to get to fight to Riptide again with Hypershock in its current form, what would you do differently as opposed to last time? And Sam's unique viewpoint is me personally with those long forks, I would have just gone for a full frontal assault and hope for the best. It may not lead to success, but it would be a start for me. I agree, Sam. Uh, it's 
funny. We talked about this during the match, uh, watching it with uh, Witch Doctor in our workshop. And we said, you know what? Maybe we should have box rushed them. Uh, our spin up's a little bit faster than theirs. Um, our forks are relatively close together and they could probably take the first hit. And maybe that's all you need against Riptide is getting a really solid first hit. And that gives you the momentum and, and the advantage that you need. Uh, otherwise, um, maybe let Alex drive. Uh, she seems to be less prone to, to mistakes than I am. She's much more meticulous. <laughs> Um, and actually because of that, she's going to be driving in Sin City Slugfest. Oh, awesome. Yeah, it'll be fun. Oh, that's great. Well, now she, she drove, I believe, uh, and, and correct me if I'm wrong during the Amazon Remars. Exactly. Yeah. So she won Remars right now. She's undefeated. <laughs> uh, you know, of course there's always some robot luck in there, but she, she beat Tombstone, Hydra and Blip. Uh, so she's three and oh with a bolt. Um, and batting a batting a thousand, uh, I said, "Yeah, might as well let you try because I'm not doing any better." Now, I just taking a look back at the uh, at, at at the the seasons that you've participated in, like Hypershock has been taken out by some of the biggest names in the sport. I think that you mentioned a, a, a few of them earlier. It was uh, it was Sawblaze. Who else? Will uh, Sawblaze, Endgame, and Riptide this year. Yeah, we, we take That's, great pride um, in losing to the best. Yeah, I mean, there's <laughs> nothing wrong with 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 losing to, you know, a bot like Endgame, which is obviously a championship bot. It is one of the best bots that we have ever seen on the show. Uh, and, you know, that's like one of those things that you, you go home after the season films and you're just like, well, you know, <laughs> yep. uh, I, I can see how that happened. Yeah, I mean, we lost to uh, but, Bite Force every time they won, so so that's got to be good for something. <laughs> that is, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty wild. It's you know, you see a lot of uh, really great bots, you know, all the time that sometimes don't even make the round of thirty-two, or uh, you know, are knocked out early in the round of thirty-two from from bots that just kind of come out of the left field. But that doesn't really seem to be Hypershock's mo. No, I mean. Um... Our, our, our goal, first and foremost, is to be entertaining and to put on a good show. Uh, as a result, uh, we've gotten lots of very exciting matches. Even if we lose, we, we get lots of uh, attention, um, which I, I think reflects in the fact that we've pretty much always gotten into the, the round of 32, uh, or at least you know into the, the, the playoffs against, uh, what was it, against Huge in season four. Um, we're just trying to put on a good show and we're, we're trying to do better and better every year. Uh, and for the most part, season three and five, notwithstanding, I think we're still doing that. All right. Let's talk a little bit more about uh, world championship seven. Uh, I have a question here from Mitch from team stamina, who's got actually a few questions. First, uh, Mitch asks, uh, hello, Will. First, I'd just like to congratulate you and your team. It seems like you guys have really dialed in the robot the past two years. What was the big motivation behind r removing the self-writer, and will we ever see it again? Um, well, thank you. Uh, the motivation was it's a whole bunch of space and weight that we could put elsewhere. Uh, the reason that the drivetrain is good and the weapon is good and uh, the robot lasts as long as it is it does is because we took all that extra weight that we say is probably like 35 pounds all told with the arm and the mechanism and the extra motor controller and the extra batteries and the extra space that it occupies that makes the chassis that much bigger 
um, we can make the rest of the robot that much better. Uh, and frankly, all the implementations of a self-rider we had tried up until then um, weren't good. They were a waste of, of resources. Uh, they were a, a waste of weight and space in the robot. Uh, it distracted us from our core competencies of, of driving fast and hitting things hard. And I mean, the second we got rid of it was season six and all of a sudden it started to do a lot better. So uh, are you going to see it uh, ever on the robot again? I, I'd be a fool to say never, but you're going to have to convince me really hard that I need one. <laughs> So you just touched on something that was part of Mitch's next question. How do you practice driving hypershock? Is it obstacle courses, RC cars, or chasing your brother around? <laughs> That's hard. Uh, one of the, the I'm sure every person who's been asked this question is a, a builder on the show or, or in the small classes has had the same answer. It's dangerous and it's hard. Um, you know, driving around in the parking lot is one thing, uh, but spinning up the weapon uh, and driving around like that, we just never do. Uh, it's, it's one of the, the biggest issues with building 250 pound death machines is that they're, they're killer robots and they at minimum will destroy a car. Uh, and, and at worst they'll, they'll inflict serious bodily harm on, on one of us. So when it comes to, you know, testing the weapon, we'll do, you know, more functional checks and, and like electrical testing checks where we you know, bolt the robot down or strap it down to a cart. And then we strategically place it on one side of the, uh, the shop and then get it as far away and out of plane with it as possible. Um, but mo for most people, the, t the first time they get to drive the robot with the weapon spinning is in the test box. And then the first time they get to do it with any more room than, you know, a 16 foot square or 12 foot square is in a fight. It's in the, it's in the showboat right before the match starts. Um, the The one thing we did differently between six and seven was uh, we built a, a safety disc. Uh, now, safety is relative, but we have a, a solid, you know, continuous circle, uh, you know, hoop that we can we can spin the thing with, um, and that enabled Alex to practice driving and feel what gyroscopic effect was like uh, on her driving um, before Remars. Uh, and I, it seemed to have paid off. So maybe we'll use more of that going forward. Um, whoever's driving <laughs> to be determined who, who drives in season eight. Um, but, uh, but it's, it's scary. <laughs> Is that safety disc like, you know, plastic rubber or something like that? That's of comparable. Oh, weight? it's, it's a, it's a solid steel disc. It's the same mass. Uh, we, we did our best to, to make sure there were, it was difficult for it to catch anything and throw it. Uh, we might even make a shroud that goes around it just to make it a little bit safer. Um, but, uh, but it gives us enough confidence that we're not going to die, that, that we're willing to try it out. Um, you know, safety glasses and behind a barrier and <laughs> all sorts of other precautions, just in case. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll, I'll admit uh, totally guilty as charged. Uh, the first few years that we did the pod here, I had uh, I had never built and competed with a bot, and then finally I built a thirty pound uh, weird uh, uh, plastic and Lexan contraption called uh, Darkside that had a, a a new flywheel hammer design. And when it came time to finally test it, I just had it locked. not ambitious or anything. <laughs> I had it locked in a vice with like me and all my cousins down in the workshop and we had like a 15 foot rope attached. Yeah. To the... <laughs> oh, I shouldn't even be saying this out loud. <laughs> this is a safe but like, space. you know, 
we had we had safety glasses on, but it is flailing around two and a half pound rock hammerheads yep. <laughs> to the point where like the like a big uh, four foot by eight foot, maybe three four hundred pound uh, you know workshop uh, bench is just flopping up and down on the corner. Yeah, that sounds about right. And we are just giggling. Uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a dangerous sport for a reason, and that's cool that you guys have thought of ways to like test out driving, but to uh, to keep people's safety in mind. Yeah, I think everyone who's built a robot at this point has that experience of turning the thing on, saying, "Oh, well, it won't be that bad," and then the moment you turn it on, saying, "Geez, this is a terrible idea, and this is scary." <laughs> um, so I think. <laughs> Once you get into robots, you'll you'll understand. Uh, but especially if you're building your first, please just wait to to spin the weapon uh, at at your first event, or at least do it in a incredibly safe manner. <laughs> I 100. percent All right, my next question here is from Cole, uh, NHRL competitor and builder of Newbert, who asks, "I'd like to know what drive motors and ESCs Will uses because he has a damn fast bot, and when I apply to BattleBots in the next seven years, I'm gonna want a fast bot." Well, Cole, you're in luck. Uh, my teammate Kyle has a blog post all about this on our website. So you should go to www.hypershock.tv. Uh, but the real answer is uh, we're using New Motor 8038's 100 kV version and a slightly hardware modified version of the Trampa uh, Vesk 7500. Um, we're using uh, AS5147P encoder chips on a custom board. Um, and, and it's geared for like 26 miles an hour and we're running at 16 S lipo. Uh, so those are all the bits. Sorry, Kyle. I I just nullified your, your, your blog. Did you say www.hypershock.tv? Indeed. In fact, you don't even need the www. You can skip all that. I just saved you four keystrokes. Did you, did you say HTTP? Colon www.hypershock.tv. Yeah, I mean, that'll work. <laughs> that, that is where I get all of my Hypershock news and information. And merch. Wow. I can't wait to go to www.hypershock.tv. <laughs> Man, I should go there and buy myself some clothes for next week. Oh, that's a great idea. Do you sell merchandise on www.hypershock.tv? Chris, you're not going to believe this, but we do. Wait, 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 what? We we have clothes. We have t-shirts. Uh, I think, I don't know if we have the swimsuit still, but there's a there's a towel, so you could wear the towel. You could have a hat, maybe some socks, hyper socks. <laughs> so if I want a pair of hyper socks, I just go to www.hypershock.tv. Yeah, or find some knockoffs on Redbubble, whatever you want. Ah, uh, I love it. All right. Stephanie Spooner of the three pound uh, uh, Il Pacino wants to know, were there any significant changes to Hypershock uh, from last season? And also Stephanie asks, I've always admired how much fun your team seems to have. What would you say is the most fun you've had at BattleBots? Okay. So, um, hi, Stephanie. Uh, the, the biggest change we did this year, uh, honestly, was the the billets, the big uprights that support the weapon uh, this year, um, we we changed how the the horns, the the, the bunny ears mount. Uh, so I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but we we now have urethane bushings, the same kind that we used for for mounting the forks, um, just up there. And so now when we 
hit the ground really hard. It, it doesn't bend the uh, the horn like it did in the P1 fight in season six, um, and gives it a little bit more robustness. So that that helped a lot this year, I think. Um, and then the most fun. Uh, <laughs> there there was a, a special thing that happened this year so my birthday fell um smack dab in the middle of filming it was on october 24th and uh alex my wife um schemed um and she somehow organized with the rest of my team members and with the help of uh, uh ricky from uh from mammoth that they they blindfolded me dragged you know had me walk around the 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 arena and um filming in a very concerning manner i was getting very nervous um but they finally uh let me take my blindfold off after accidentally fondling um ricky's face and uh it was mammoth inside of a test box with a t-rex shaped um uh pinata inside and he handed me the controls for <laughs> for Mammoth and said, have a blast, you know, have at it. And inside of the pinata were um, fake dollar bills with my name on them called uh, Billy Bucks. Uh, <laughs> I still have one in my wallet, uh, but it was a blast. And it was just so fun and so sweet of, of not only my teammates, but but. You know, Ricky didn't have any skin in the game. He would just let me drive his robot uh, because it was my birthday. And in fact, I accidentally broke it um, because <laughs> I, I inadvertently flipped Mammoth inside of the test box. Um, and, oh, no. and one of the uh, the eyeballs on the side kind of got bent in. And so uh, I now have a, a piece of Mammoth <laughs> that I broke in the test box. I was going to say, I hope, I hope it didn't break on the pinata because maybe someone should run the pinata. <laughs> well, that's our, our secret weapon for next year. So don't tell anybody. We've seen the birthday present before, but the pinata is, uh, man, nobody's ready for that. It's one of those big brain moves that nobody's expecting. I think that'll really get us the design award. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. All right, Nicholas Lopez wants to know your fight night bracket is a big contender for the being one of the hardest ones. Which fight had you the most worried going in? Sure, certainly felt like the hardest. Uh, Sawblaze. Uh, my, for the last couple of years, Sawblaze has been my pick for for champion uh, for winning the giant nut. Uh, it's very hard to fight against. Uh, Jameson has it so dialed in, and it's so so well driven it's so well executed it's so well designed it has basically no flaws at this point and i don't know how to beat it <laughs> so uh, especially when we get the, the the schedule it's like oh great your first fight which is the first of the event is going to be saw blaze i'm like oh crap this is this is not how we wanted the season to go <laughs> so that was definitely the hardest one uh in our eyes yeah, it's it's you know everybody always they always say combat robotics is a big game of rock paper scissors, but Jameson has kind of wrapped his head around the formula and like has made the first pair of paper shears that are stone forged, and it's just he it's is, a little he, bit of everything. Playing Spock so hard, <laughs> it's incredible. It really is. Yeah. Now my hats off to him. It's it's a beautiful thing, uh, and he's done a great job. So we'll see how he does. Um, for what it's worth, of all our opponents, he's gotten the farthest. He's in the final episode in Endgame 8, so 
There you go. Theodore Black wants to know why uh, you didn't run the wedge at all in any match. Um, well, it didn't feel appropriate for anybody. Uh, certainly for Endgame, they were going to get under it with uh, the, the razor blades that they glue on the front of their robot. Uh, saw blades, that wasn't going to work. Uh, they've got the ground game nailed. Um, <clears throat> Whiplash, no, same problem. And uh, Claw Viper, no, same problem. Uh, then for the first round of the tournament, Lucky, nope. They've also got Forks, so that would get under the wedge. Uh, and then Riptide. Riptide was uh, a consideration, but then they put these super long little forks on, and the the wedge is wide enough that it would almost definitely get caught by both of their forks. And although they only rise up maybe an inch and a quarter, uh, it's probably enough to lead the, the front nose of the wedge straight into their weapon and probably rip off the wedge and send us flying. So we said, all right, um, I guess we go with the forks. <laughs> the forks just keep being the thing we use. Uh, not because I wish, I wish we had something better. Um, I wish we had a, a wedge that would work for everybody uh, with a little bit more protection up front. But, you know, that's the way it is. Yeah, it's uh, definitely forks are kind of at the front of the meta right now. Maybe uh, someone just needs to invent the very first ever, uh, I don't know, a, a wedge spoon with a fork in the front of the wedge. <laughs> we just need to spoon. That's it. Someone just needs Season spoon. eight. You heard it here first. Robots are spooning. Theodore Black, you heard Will. Make the first ever spoon, please. I'm on it. All right. Uh, I got some questions here from Spencer Sahu, who has... He's got four questions. Feel free to answer them. Uh, you know, um, I'll answer them in the order I remember. Spencer's first question is: If you could use an emoji to represent Hypershock, what emoji would you use? Uh, uh, the the tongue out and rolling uh, and and eyes like in either direction. Not the not the winky tongue face, but the like the this discombobulated one. That's a good answer. I I, I like that. Was there any yeah. particular music going on for your dancing? Which dancing? Uh, <laughs> there's always some kind of music. Um, probably for the can-can, I guess he's referring to, uh, before the, you know, as our tunnel entrance thing. No. Uh, I mean, yeah, they have music going, but that was just our, our shtick for, for, that, uh, <laughs> for that entrance. We, <laughs> we always say, oh, man, we should come up with something uh, ahead of time so we have something prepared. You know, which doctor has their really amazing, uh, you know, voodoo fingers thing that they've committed to for so long. And I'm incredibly jealous of. Um, but we just can't come up with anything that we really love that's a consistent uh, gimmick for that. So inevitably, we're standing behind the uh, the tunnel waiting for our match to, to start and Farouk to call us out and uh, panicking like, okay, what do we do this time? Uh, can can uh, maybe. Uh, what about finger guns? No, we did finger guns last time. What about a selfie? Nah, we've done that before. <laughs> and, and we just kind of go through a couple things, or just try to come up with new stuff, um, and then you end up with can can. Spencer's last question here is: How do you? How does your team stay on top of looking so styling? Well, uh, it, we we make it a, a priority. Uh, that's really all it is. Um, you know, certain robots and certain teams uh, prioritize um, performance of the robot. Certain teams uh, prioritize the the costume and, and their branding. Um, and it's just a, a difference of priorities and, and 
what we want, uh, what we want out of the show and what we want out of our experience there is to have a good time and, and look pro and look like we know what we're doing and, uh, and bring some good energy. So, you know, we put a serious amount of effort into the robot design and the uniform design and, and coming up with what's going to look good and cohesive and, and, uh, what, at least for the uniform, it's what would we be willing to wear not at BattleBots? What would we be willing to wear out and about day to day and not feel like incredibly awkward? Like, I love Kraken um, to death, but I don't see Matt going to work as a pirate. Um, he, he doesn't do that. So, uh, <laughs> you know, what, what, are, what would we want to wear if we were a fan? That's kind of the, the core of the question. I'll cut you off there. Matt is, uh, he's definitely the most feared person at NASA because he does go to work dressed like a pirate every day. (laughs) (laughs) I stand corrected. (laughs) All right. I got some, some questions here about the future of hypershock. Uh, and this is a very popular question across Facebook and discord. And it's, uh, in regards to Alex, uh, your wife, and uh, we have a question here from Olivia and a very similar one from Elaine. Olivia wants to know if uh, Alex is going to be driving again uh, because she seems so nice. And Elaine wants to know, uh, do you plan on having your wife doing any of the driving or weapons controlling in the future? We're still waiting to see the Remars footage. She is nice. Uh, and yeah, I'd love to see all the Remars footage. I've hardly seen it myself. <laughs> um uh, yeah, she's going to drive. She's going to be uh, driving in Sin City Slugfest, you know, Golden Bolt 2. Um, and who knows? Beyond that, maybe she'll just drive full time. Um, we'll see how she does. Elaine also goes on to ask, um, can you tell us about any new inv- innovations that you are planning for next season's build? And Alex Pick wants to know, uh, maybe you want to tie it right into that. Uh, Alex Pick, NHRL competitor and builder of Zane, wants to know, would Hypershock be better with Brazil wheels? Uh, and what would you do to make them sufficiently Hypershock? Ah, well, let's see. Aside from the aforementioned uh, spoon that we're obviously going to be bringing for season eight, um, we're, we're really not sure what we want to do. Uh, we're not sure where to go from here, uh, to be totally honest. Uh, and it's been a debate of what do we try what do we try a, a a big wedge with ground scraping forks on it do we try um you know trying to make everything five percent smaller and and put that extra little bit of weight in elsewhere um you know maybe working on you know, one of the the ideas involves a, un, a unicorn horn uh to make it a little bit easier to self-right ourselves um I'll, I'll leave that one sufficiently vague uh and then um, Brazil wheels, I mean, it'd be great. Uh, and in fact, season five, I think it was, um, Warrior, uh, Black Dragon came up to us uh, at the end of the, the season, end of filming, and said, hey, you guys should totally use uh, Brazil wheels. And we're like, absolutely. And we handed them our tire and we said, uh, cool, so can you make something this diameter and this lightweight? And they said, oh, well, it's a great robot. Uh, thanks for saying hi. And then they walked away. So, so um, I'd love to use uh, Brazil wheels. You know, the idea of a, a solid vulcanized rubber thing that's um, a little bit more robust is a great idea. I mean, look how well it's it's worked out for uh, Whiplash and Malice. Love them. Uh, and I think you could probably style them up um, with a little bit of effort just you know, to make them feel hyper-shocking and put the letters on the side, uh, maybe put a tread in it. Uh, but the big problem is weight. That's, that's always what it comes down to is what can we get away with with the weight? 
All right, I have a, a follow-up question here. Um, a few years ago, I found a, a random rake in the field at a campsite I worked at. <laughs> this is from this is from Pat Maloney. Uh, <laughs> a few years ago, I found a random rake in the field at a campsite I worked at, and no one was there with it. No one brought it up there. I was the first person in the field that day and found it. Did you drop it off for me to find, or did the rake fairy do it? You think you were the first person to be there that day? Obviously, it was the rake fairy. Obviously, it was the rake fairy. Sometimes you need a rake, and the rake fairy finds a way. <laughs> you just don't always know you need the rake, but the rake fairy does. Yeah, the, uh, the, the a lot of people don't know about the rake fairy. It's like the, the black sheep cousin of the tooth fairy. Tooth fairy gets all the credit. Yeah. But the rake fairy, you know. I mean, frankly, the rake, the rake fairy is much nicer about it. Doesn't want any weird teeth in return. Like, what kind of creep goes into a kid's room, steals their teeth, and is like, yeah, here's a quarter or a couple bucks, depending on who your parents happen to be. You know, it's it, the rake fairy is is ambivalent. He's just like, here's a rake. Do you want anything in return, rake fairy? No, no. I, I, here's a rake. It's just so sweet. Wants nothing in return. The rake fairy is also much more powerful in the fall. Um maybe the most dominant of all the fairies, uh, you know, in, the, yeah. in that October to November uh, window. Yeah. Especially in like the Northeast where there, there is fall. Uh, the problem is down here in Florida, we don't have seasons. So the, the rake fairy is severely hindered. <laughs> it's the flood fairy that you have in Miami. Oh yeah. His drunk cousin. <laughs> all right. Uh, Matthew Cahoy wants to know, is there anyone you still want to fight, but haven't yet? I love Hypershock so much. I'm working on an ant weight kit based on it. Thank you so much for all you give to the sport. Oh, awesome. I, I can't wait to see the kit. Um, oh, man. Who, who haven't we fought at this point? Uh, I don't know. And this is scary because Aaron Catling's going to be listening. He's like, oh, perfect. <laughs> they want to fight insert person. So I'm going to make him fight this this person like first time and then every time after that uh who's still around um i mean i'd like to fight ray with tombstone um you know alex did and and she won i well uh, i'd like to give it a shot it'd be fun Uh, we'll see if if tombstone's back for season eight yeah let's hope we only had um over the course of the season four thousand questions uh thrown our way about where's ray where's tombstone Oh, yeah. No, just a couple more. <laughs> All right. Uh, Jameson Go, I think that's his name. Jameson Go, captain of... Uh, Is he a newbie? Yeah, maybe. Uh, captain of Sawblaze, I think that's a three-pounder. Jameson Go wants to know, Hi, Will. Want to buy our old wheels? Hi, Will. Do you still want to do Hyperblaze? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, we can we can do Hyperblaze with your old wheels since you're not using them. <laughs> that's fun. All right, David Harrison asks, is it true that Jevin is currently bankrolling the Hypershock team? Uh, he is a not insignificant uh, percentage of our funding uh, through just through merch sales. He is, he is a, a 1% uh, top notch. Um, you know, if we had, um, I guess we do have a rankings. <laughs> he, he's our, he's our best customer. And we thank him for his support. <laughs> 
He has hypershocks that you can buy at hypershock.tv. Wait a minute. Did you just say www.hypershock.tv? <laughs> well, I didn't put the W's in there, but yeah, sure, I did. <laughs> All right. Jesse Mullen has a live show question. Are you able to divulge any intel on how Destructathon Hypershock has been going? What parts break most often? Have you been able to apply any learnings to the next season's design for the main show Hypershock? Yeah, I could talk about uh, Destructathon. Um, so Hypershock and Witch Doctor Destructathon versions have been fighting for every show as the main event so far. Um, they are different robots. They're built by uh, Hypershock and Witch Doctor teams. We built them in our, our workshop here in Miami. Uh, but they are built explicitly for the Destructathon. Um, we made things a little bit simpler, easier to work on, a little more robust. They're way heavier. Uh, like Hypershock, I think, is 310 pounds. And I want to say Witch Doctor might be even 320 or 300. They're, they're big boys. Uh, they're, they are chonkers. Um, and as a result, they get hit a lot and hard. Um, there, there's been a lot of um, damage to the to the weapon discs themselves, uh, and we've been learning some stuff about that. Um, Witch Doctor um, and Hypershock seem to go back and forth between clobbering the other, uh, so it's about an even match. Um, I think over overall, Witch Doctor might be ahead a little bit. Um, but by all accounts, they're they're dishing out real damage uh, akin to you know, real robots. Uh, we put the same bearings for the weapon and the same weapon axle in uh, that Hypershock uses on the TV show uh, in both Witch Doctor and Hypershock for, for um, Destructathon. And they've been blowing up bearings. They've been bending axles. So anyone saying that they're sandbagging the, the fights and that they don't hit that hard, um, they're doing more damage to weapon axles and weapon bearings than the real Hypershock does in fights like up against Riptide. So they're hitting very hard. Um, and um, they have an incredible team of people there fixing everything and keeping them running. Um, and I need to actually go out there and see it myself. I haven't personally been to any of the, the, the full productions. <laughs> I was there right before they started and I haven't been able to make it out since. So I need to go soon. All right, Will, are you ready for a weird question? Uh, potato. Uh, oh, <laughs> you, you might have answered it, but hold on. <laughs> All right. Regan Bechler asks the hard hitting questions. <clears throat> All right. Well, let's imagine that a team develops a humanoid battle bot and chooses you to pilot it, similar to a Jaeger from Pacific Rim. You obviously get to stay outside the box. It moves, and to save your fragile arm, you your your fragile arms, <laughs> you must bring in a handheld tool or weapon to fight. <laughs> what handheld weapon would you bring to your matches? The humanoid that you can name it if you'd like that has Hypershock's fight card. I, I'm sticking with my original answer, uh, <laughs> potato. Uh, maybe it's a titanium potato, but potato, no less. I guess we can we can drill a little deeper into this. Are we talking like a golden russet? Are we talking about like a standard baked potato, a sweet potato? I mean, a Yukon Gold seems like the the right choice, uh, just in terms of girth. But I do really like those little purple ones. Oh, you want to bring fingerlings into the equation? 
yeah so maybe like a a bushel of fingerlings like a like one of those little net bags that you can get at the grocery store <laughs> titanium just net bag. swing that around yeah yeah a titanium mesh bag full of of titanium fingerling potatoes final answer oh, okay i think you've just given me an idea for my next 30 pounder <laughs> i got a royalty <laughs> deal one potato you get, you get a cut you get a cut of the zero dollars i don't want money i just want one of the potatoes <laughs> all right craig danby captain of slamo has some praise and a question thank you for all uh, yours and kyle's help last year i'm so unbelievably grateful for your help that said when are we finally going to find out who is technical t-rex wow uh well I, absolutely you're welcome um craig is a delight and uh, I'll give him any of my terrible advice any day. Um, in regards to to whom Technical T-Rex actually is, I mean, clearly Technical T-Rex is Technical T-Rex. Uh, I, 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 it's Technical T-Rex. That's like saying, you know, who's Craig Danby? Well, Craig Danby is Craig Danby. Who is Kenny Florian? Kenny Florian is Kenny Florian. Technical T-Rex is technical T-Rex. Wow. That was deep. Share is share, you know? <laughs> All right. Ryan Hunter's chat GPT question of the week. It's probably good. <laughs> I'd imagine that this was written by an AI. But Ryan Hunter's chat GPT question of the week is, BattleBots has a strong community of passionate fans. How do you engage with the fan base and how important is it that their support to you and the Hypershock team? Well, as a large language model, I don't have an understanding of what engagement is, but I can pretend an answer. Um, uh, what's it like to, to engage with the fans? I mean, it's it's the best. It's, it's uh, after having fun ourselves, it is the most fulfilling part of all this, possibly more. Uh, the reason we do it is because it's fun. Part of why it's fun is to interact with fans and uh, you know, go to events, whether it be battle bots or small robot events or maker fairs um, just showing, you know, showing people the robot and, and getting to talk and, and hear how excited they are and, and, you know, be a part of everyone's Thursday evenings for two hours. Now, Ryan Hunter has a second question. I don't know if it's chat GPT that's asking it. Perhaps it's just Ryan Hunter, the human, mm. uh, the second question is, are there any new technologies or innovations in the field of robotics that you find particularly exciting or that you believe could revolutionize the sport of BattleBots? Oh, man, revolutionize? I don't know. Um, Besides the spoon technology. Yeah, obviously spoons are, but, you know, got to gotta fine-tune the spoons. Uh, you don't want off-tuned spoons. Um, huh. we, we've seen brushless motors basically come fully into their own and even uh, teams that sworn against them, which doctor uh, are finally starting to use them and, and have massive, you know, great results. So just seeing how that kind of plays out as everyone goes totally brushless and, and makes everything a little bit more compact and, and alleviates weight for other things should be interesting, but we've kind of been already seeing that. Um, I think I'm most excited, and it's not really, it, it's a bad answer. I, I, I will preface this with, this is a non-answer to your question, and I'm sorry. Um, I'm kind of happy with how 
much forks have not worked this year, that there's been a limit to how well forks will work. Um, you know, in this last episode, Copperhead versus Endgame, I think is a perfect example of there is a limit to how much weight you can put into a fork where it no longer becomes durable and it'll just start to get ripped off. Um, and I, I'm interested to see how the hyper-competitive group reacts and how, how do they counteract the the end games or how do the, the end games and the witch doctors and and everybody uh react to copperheads and minotaurs and riptides um not needing forks to win we've been talking about fork technology spoon technology but perhaps the ultimate uh the next meta is the spork technology you know what? You might be onto something there. Maybe the ladle technology, although I, I, I suppose that is derivative of, <laughs> of spoons. It's the uh, the it's the <laughs> it's the rake fairy of of spoon technology. Yeah. What about tongs? No one's got tongs. I mean, <clears throat> claw viper is kind of a tong. Crap, you're right. Uh, all right, there's nothing new. All all kitchen implements have been used. World Championship 8 is canceled. All kitchen elements have been yep. used. Yep. I mean, I was going to say whisk, but what's an egg beater but a whisk? Oh, wow. This is like that. Literally. This is like that age-old question that I know a few people uh, in our, our, our fandom like to ask builders. Is is a hot dog technically, um, uh, what is it, a sandwich? Is a hot dog a sandwich? A sandwich. Oh, man. Uh, we're getting this fight again. All right. Okay. Now you listen here. No, it's not a sandwich. It's not a sandwich because it's a taco. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Prove me wrong. Thank you. I've been saying that yeah. forever now. It's the American taco. It's three sides. Oh my goodness. Will, we're on the same wavelength. I love it. Yeah. I, I appreciate you, Chris. <laughs> All right. I, I I love this question. It's a, it's a tricky question. Uh, but Marina uh, Dombrowski wants to know, do you think it would be helpful if BattleBots was to be more transparent about how much monetary investment goes into bots or each individual system? So as a viewer, you could see, oh, this is a $90,000 bot against a $15,000 bot. And related, would it be helpful to set a hard limit on how much teams can spend to help control runaway costs at the upper end of the sport? Great question. Um, all right, so let's split that into two parts. Uh, number one, uh, what would happen if they they force us to disclose how much things cost? Uh, so one of, and this goes to the, the second problem, what constitutes cost? If, um, if I build a robot and I machine all my parts uh, because I have $100,000 in machine tools uh, and the parts only cost me you know, 5,000 bucks, 10,000 bucks in materials. Is that a $10,000 robot or a $110,000 robot? The second part of the question is, or the second bit to the answer of the first is, I think you can already tell. Um, any, any team that already has big billet, you know, machined components, they're a, a higher budget r- robot. Anyone who's, you know, got a lot of sheet metal uh, and uh, doesn't have, six robots stacked up in their pit uh, probably is on the lower end of the budget. Uh, and everyone else is kind of in the spectrum on the middle. Um, and so, I mean, at least as a builder, uh, 
I think we have a pretty good idea of, of where people fall. Um, but I'm not sure it matters, at least to us, just because we know that spending $100,000 on a robot does not guarantee you a win. Um, and and uh, people spend their money different ways and people have different resources. Um, so do I think it's necessary? I guess to answer the, the second question, should we post a, um, put a, a cap in? I don't know. Uh, and I think it's harder to start to answer that question because of the, the question I posed is, a, is it, how does your, your resources, the, the access you have to machine tools and sponsors and stuff, how does that factor into the budget? Um, but you tell me, uh, would it be interesting to know how much uh, each robot costs from a fan's perspective? Uh, would that be an interesting part of the show? I mean, I'm not opposed to it. Uh, you know, I'll put a, a price tag on the robot and throw it up there on screen. Um, I, I don't think that bothers me in any way. Uh, would it be? Would it provide value? Would it be entertaining? I don't know. There is, yeah, there is. Uh, an infinite amount of nuance to every possible way that you can answer the questions as, you know, someone who is, is currently trying to help shop sponsors to have a new bot brought to Destructathon and to BattleBots. It's like, you know, it's tough. Yeah. Trying to find material sponsors to either offset the cost or perhaps even provide materials for free, finding the machinist who would be willing to do the same things. It's, it's like, you're, you're, you're building a community of people that will help you do things more affordably. Uh, and then does that go to the price tag of a bot? If, if you have, uh, you know, $20,000 of donated labor and material, is that now a $20,000 bot or is it a free bot? You know, it's, um, there's, there's like, there would have to be some kind of mechanism in place to kind of help uh, shape what a bot actually costs. And I think it'd be kind of cool to see you know, as part of like the, the actual data breakdown of a fight, you know, this is a, a $9,000 bot versus a, a $47,000 bot because, you know, it would give some people, you know, a little bit more of underdog clout and it's kind of fun to kind yep. of have that That's kind good of point. tied to the narrative, but it's just so hard to quantify. You know what I would like? I would like a, uh, a tally, a running tally during the fight of how much the damage costs. I think that would be entertaining. <laughs> uh, and I mean, yeah. that, and I say that 100% serious. Give me a running tally that, that looks like you're... <laughs> it's it's like Grand Theft Auto with the, <laughs> with the stars with in the corner. <laughs> yeah, or, or just racking up uh, cost. There's just a running tab on, on either side, the red square and the blue square. I think that would be very interesting because I think there's a lot of robots that win and do well, um, but do it cost effectively. Uh, and it'd be fun to see how expensive was your win uh, or how, how expensive was your loss. Uh, and I think that might give more insight um, and, and maybe make it a little more relatable uh, than just saying, oh, well, this robot costs 50 grand or you know whatever it is. All right. My next question here is from Hunter Huey McIntosh, who asks, and perhaps you could fill us in uh, for those that might not know about the inside question here, is the bet with Chris still in place? That's a good question. Um, so uh, season six... Uh, we said if we were top 10, um, I would dye my hair um, because Chris asked me if, <laughs> if why I haven't dyed my hair. I said, if we make top 10, sure. Uh, and 
he said, okay, cool. And I'll do it with you. I said, hot damn, this is going to be great. And then they uh, only gave us two fight night cards, um, only two fight night fights, uh, Slamo and Lockjaw. And we got 13th seed. Um, I think it was an internal conspiracy. Uh, conspiracy by big Chris's hair not to get uh, dyed. Uh, is is the, the bet still on? I don't know. You're going to have to ask Chris's hair. All right. I have two questions here from Dale Bruce. Uh, the first question, is there any way of getting the original footage of your green screen dancing for meme purposes? <laughs> uh, I don't even know who to ask. <laughs> I don't know how to get it for myself, much less for you. All right. And his, uh, his second question here, have you gotten around to doing that thing yet? That thing? So foreboding. Um, in light of the fact that I cannot recall what it is, I'm going to say no. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm just not on top of it. <laughs> Dale Bruce goes on to write, <laughs> there is no thing. I'm just hoping he makes something up and plays along. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> All right. Our, our last question here is from one of my all-time favorite builders, this is from Kokoto Mane, the builder of Serial Killer and other Beatles. Oh, thanks. And man. he has the most important question of all. Hey, Will, just wanted to ask if you've ever thought about building something for NHRL. Ah, uh, yes, th- this question. Uh, yeah, it would be fun. Um, the The only problem, and the reason we haven't done it yet, is time and resources, uh, particularly post BattleBots. Chris, you probably know what this feels like. Um, there's the post BattleBots filming depression where you want nothing to do with any robots. <laughs> you are totally wiped out. You want nothing to do with building another robot or going to another event. And then right about the time that you start feeling like, okay, well, maybe I'll build something again. It's another season of BattleBots rearing its ugly head and you got to panic and do that instead. Um, uh, that's really kind of the core of it is it's fun. Uh, I love building uh, little robots. Usually when we've been building little robots, it's it's for the memes. Uh, just trying something fun or, or just something different, not necessarily just to be hyper-competitive. Um, and I, if nothing else, I'd love to actually go to NHRL and uh, and just experience it. My, my brother and my parents have gone, um, and they loved it. Yeah, I was I was going to follow up and say your, your family had come out to NHRL. I think it was at our last event or the event before or something. Um, what, what was their take on it? They loved it. And the, the production quality was was top notch. Everything is, you know, there's so many fights going on. Uh, they had a blast. Um, Greg might might make another robot for for NHRL. We'll see. Um, but yeah, it's it's time. And especially going from Miami, anyone who's not in the driving distance of Norwalk, Connecticut knows that it's, it's hard to get there um, for the whole weekend and you know, take time off uh, and spend money on airplane tickets. So it's uh, it, it's, it's on the to-do list. Um, we'll see. If you were to just kind of hypothetically, hyper shockathetically throw out, like if you were to, to make a, a, uh, a bot for something like NHRL? Do you think that you would take a stab at a 30 pounder, 12 pounder, three pounder? I mean, if I'm going to go, I might as well build a 30, right? Um, <laughs> they're the, the biggest and most exciting. Uh, it's been so long since I've built, I've never built a 30. 
Uh, I built 15 pound robots in high school and middle school. I built three pounders in college and immediately thereafter. And then I basically went straight to, uh, to two fifties. I built like one or two middle weights in high school also. Um, so I kind of skipped the, the featherweight class altogether and it's been a long time, so I'd have to learn all the, the components, all the latest and greatest stuff. Back in my day, we still used brushes. <laughs> it's one of those so, things, you know. Not to say. <laughs> you know, people always, like, one of the um, one of the tropes that you always hear is like, oh, when are you going to finish your beetle? Or, <laughs> like, when someone makes yeah. a comment like, oh, you know, this bot should have done this, this bot should have done that. You know, you, the, the, the most common thing that you hear is like, well, where's your beetle? Um because like beetle has kind of been designated the three pounder has been designated as this is the bot that you build to get into building bots and you know i think it's a great starting point it is a great starting point but there's so many different avenues into the sport like you know if um i don't know you work on atvs like maybe it makes more sense like just that, that kind of tactile approach of like oh i can i can feel this with my hands and i know it'll work in a 30 pounder versus like the more precise science that goes into building a three pounder because like it's different weights and materials and things that you have to consider that, uh, that kind of makes three pounds challenging. And it just really depends on what's in your Rolodex, uh, to, to, to find the entry points that, that, that's the best for you. And so like, I never built a three pounder. I never even built a 12 pounder. I just went straight for 30 because, you know, I'll pick up something off of a lawnmower and be like, yeah, that'll work. Yeah, exactly. You can do it with stuff in your garage. Um, you know, one of the great things for the smaller weight classes has been 3D printing and CAD software being so accessible. Uh, and you see that a lot in the Beatles and the Antweights. Um, but it means that if you don't have a, a 3D printer or you don't have a, you don't have a good understanding of, of uh, software uh, and CAD software, then it feels like a barrier. So yeah, absolutely. Getting a, a hacksaw out and bolting some, you know, drill motors to a, a plank of something and, and getting a, a, you know, a weed whacker or some kind of thing and, and bolting it all together and doing the true quote garage build that everyone talks about from, you know, decades past. That's a great way to get into it without having to have the access or, or knowledge of what CAD is and, you know, being able to do all sorts of cad porn any uh any last you know inspiring words for you know potential builders out there or any any shout outs that you want to give here at the end of our interview oh man um uh don't take spoons those are my idea uh you heard it here first um <laughs> uh, i swear if anyone shows up with battle bots and there's a spoon on their robot and you tried to outdo me i will end you that's it Will, uh, thank you so much. It's always a blast having you on here. It's, you know, Hypershock had a great run and just it was an explosive season and, you know, records were set, <laughs> vertical ones. But, <laughs> you know, we, uh, we as always, we we look forward to, to seeing you in the next season. And, uh, you know, you, you obviously have some other things kind of coming up. But, uh, you know, it, it's been a blast and we, we absolutely love having you on. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to be on. After the break, we'll return with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. Welcome back from the break. Time for Robots Around the World. 
This week, we're traveling to Tokyo, where researchers at the University of Tokyo have built a backpack that allows people to add up to six robotic arms at once. <laughs> Turning people into human cyborg spiders. Yes, yes, there we go. The Jizai Arms Project mimics the arm movements of the person wearing the backpack, allowing them to reach for tall objects on a shelf or embrace a loved one. The researchers say giving people up to six robotic arms could help humans navigate a future society that's designed and built by AI-powered androids. And, and that's today's story. Uh, this is not how you create supervillains at all. This has nothing to do with supervillain origin stories or anything like that. No, nothing like that at all. Dr. Octopus, Sidearm, these things, they don't come from this kind of stuff. Guys, we're like barreling closer and closer to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like, we we are becoming what we dreamed of in comic books but not not in a good way yeah i don't want to just have to walk down the street and like see people with six robotic arms battling it out with like these ai powered <laughs> androids that's not something that i want as part of my life well i mean there's there's, there's plenty of uh comics out there that paint that uh, more grim uh, future dystopia. <laughs> they just, they just don't, you know, they're just not Marvel. <laughs> uh, uh, well, Marvel's a big family. Man, so up to six robotic arms, right? So you would only really need four to be at like Dr. Octopus levels of awesome. Imagine if you got six, that'd be great. Why stop at six? Why not eight? Why not 10? So, well, I mean, come if if you had six arms, he would have been Doctor Tentapus, and that just doesn't <laughs> sound nearly as terrifying. I love that the promotional material for this stuff is like, no, we're not talking about you know like robbing banks or uh, small coup d'etats in countries. We're talking about reaching high objects on shelves or embracing a loved one. That's what these extra arms will be for. Yeah, it's like <laughs> clickety clack, clickety clack. <laughs> it's like the the big brain tentacles. It was like, oh yeah, this is to help people with epilepsy. And uh, let's make no mention of all the other nefarious uses of this. <laughs> Never mind soldiers running around with fifteen weapons. No, no, no. We're talking about God. hugs. It's hugs, guys. <laughs> With the with the new Bank of America cashback brain <laughs> tentacles, you can save up to five percent on your vacation. Oh, <laughs> Guys, I I want to go off grid, and you're never going to see me again. Then you won't know that the the eight armed militiamen are coming for you. You'll have no idea. No, I'll have like a ra- I I can have a radar. <laughs> I don't know, Lindsay. If if you're gonna go off grid and you, you you'd need to have a huge farm, and the only way that you could really do that <laughs> is if you have with the new Ryobi 18 volt uh, six arm attachment available now at Home Depot <laughs> and plants directly into your brain, you could plant a hundred times faster. 
<laughs> Bailing hay becomes a cinch. Okay, wait, I have an idea. <laughs> okay, uh, bear with me for a second. So there we are, like we have our own little compound nestled into the Catskill Mountains, right? No one near us. We are safe and protected from these cyborgs and AI-powered androids. But no, you're just sitting around programming your little uh, light-up drones to light up the mountains. That's all you're Kyle! doing. Kyle, you're right. That's where I'm going with this. <laughs> Then I see on my radar that, oh, look, we're getting a, um, a cyborg invasion. What can I do? I can't do anything to protect myself against these six armed cyborgs. So what do I do? Teacup pigs. No, I, I send out all of my millions of drones. <laughs> <laughs> and I light up the space and it just, it, they like descend on these cyborgs like little mosquitoes. <laughs> And then they like don't know what to do and they get all confused and then their like processors get fried. And then um, I, I thank all my little drones and I send them back to their little house. And uh, then at night I light up the mountains. I love this. I love this plan. Do they have millions of little houses? Cause there's millions of them. Like, or is there just one big house that they kind of all sleep in? Like a, like a, like a Omega fraternity, <laughs> like an Omega fraternity. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not a cult. <sighs> and this is the future we all dream of. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, that's about it for us today. We want to thank Nicole, as always, for editing this week's episode. And we'll be back in your feed next week with likely a world champion giant nut holder. This is very exciting. This week. happening. It's happening. It's happening. All right, folks. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Thanks, Nicole. I love how Lindsay's future is equal parts dystopian and bright. <laughs> 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 <laughs>